Hi, it's John here. And it's Teresa. Teresa, it's been a moment since we were in front of these microphones. How was your summer? Oh, my summer felt too short as always, but my friends and I traveled to Colombia for the first time, a beautiful country, and I got to try fresh chocolate, fresh coffee on the very farm where they were planted and harvested. And that's one of the best parts of traveling for me, the joy of experiencing and learning new things in new countries. How was your summer, John? It was fantastic. Maybe not as exotic as Colombia, but we got to the Maritimes and PEI, which is one of our favorite places in Canada, certainly, and extraordinary seafood, as always, in abundance. And traveling through Atlantic Canada, it was also amazing to see what isn't in abundance, which is people. Canada, as we all know, has all sorts of challenges in the labor force, and it's only getting more acute as we come out of the pandemic. And no matter where you go in this country, it's fascinating to see the role that students and international students are playing in filling that void. There are now, believe it or not, 600,000 roughly international students in Canada at all levels of study. It's a really important part of our country's progress economically and socially and will likely continue through the 2020s. Mm -hmm. And we have a new report hot off the presses that aims to tackle those very issues. It's called Course Correction, How International Students Can Help Solve Canada's Labour Crisis. And there are some pretty telling numbers in there about what they mean for our education system and our economy. For instance, a little under one-fifth of all new permanent residents have had prior Canadian study experience. And critically, John, international students are 30% more likely than domestic students to study engineering and more than twice as likely to study math and computer science. These are the top two areas of projected labor shortages in Canada, but we're seeing increasing competition for this talent. The number of international students per year is set to be more than 7 million globally by 2030. So advanced and emerging economies around the world are eyeing new ways to educate and keep this top talent. But the challenge for Canada, I think, is how do we create clear pathways to citizenship and employment for our most promising students? Absolutely. And over the next three years, Canada is set to welcome more than 1.3 million new immigrants. Immigration already accounts for almost 100% of labor force growth. We're going to have to look at not only ways of attracting international students, but keeping them here and getting them on that pathway from classroom to citizenship and probably finding new ways of doing that. Can we find the resolve and the ingenuity to fully integrate today's students into the labor market of tomorrow? This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm John Stackhouse. And I'm Trin Teresa Doe. On this episode, we're looking at Canada's international education system and how we can build a talent pipeline to meet the needs of a rapidly changing economy. After the break, we'll hear from a Vancouver-based entrepreneur who came to Canada as an international student. She was born in Thailand and is now helping other students find permanent work here. But first, we'll introduce you to a woman who works with governments, colleges, and universities to achieve Canada's international education goals. Larissa Bizo is president and CEO of the Canadian Bureau for International Education. That's an Ottawa-based nonprofit working to make Canada a world leader in international education through advocacy, capacity building, and partnerships. Larissa, welcome to Disruptors. Thanks, John. I wonder if we can start first with your organization and give us a bit of background on what specifically you do. 
So as you mentioned, CBIE is a, is a national association. Canada's education institutions right across the spectrum from K-12 to school boards uh, across the post-secondary space, those institutions are CBIE's members. And in a space where we have a federation and constitutional authority around education is provincial jurisdiction, there's, there's a need for actors such as CBIE to help represent Canada in that global arena. So CBIE is in fact that association that helps broker relationships and certainly support mobility, including inbound student mobility for Canada. And as we said in the intro, the arena is growing quite significantly. Uh, probably not a lot of Canadians appreciate that international student enrollment in Canadian post-secondary institutions more than doubled between 2010 and 2020. And since 2016, that growth has been entirely driven by international students. I wonder, Larissa, how risky it is to rely so heavily on that trend. You know, you're right to point out we've seen exponential growth. Our previous federal international education strategy set a target by 2015, which we surpassed several years in advance. We saw almost 185% growth pre-pandemic over the last decade. And since the pandemic, if, if to take you know, into account the contraction that we saw over that two-year period, we, we're still seeing 135% growth overall in terms of the, the inbound number of students across all levels of study. And all indications as we look at the end of 2021 numbers is, is that we're, we're certainly positioned for strong recovery. I think the challenge becomes how we shore up that pipeline in innovative ways and how we, in fact, focus on the pathway post-graduation. If we're really serious about trying to innovate and, and harness that global talent pipeline, there's some collaboration and innovation that we need to see to actually ensure that there's stickiness and that there's connection into our communities to actually convert those students and learners post-graduation into active community members and contributors to the labor market. I'd like to go back to the impact of the pandemic that you just briefly mentioned, Larissa. So let's talk about that contraction a little bit. We know that the number of study visas that were issued dropped 25% in the first six months of 2020. How would you describe the situation now for international students in Canada? So the situation was such with borders being closed, with mobility really grinding to a halt that we had to innovate around how we continue to support the, the learning of, of our international students. We saw tremendous temporary policy flexibilities come from the Canadian government, which were very, very welcome, that helped to position us well. We allowed flexibilities in terms of how time was counted towards the postgraduate work permits. Many other innovations, we saw exceptions for international students when mobility became possible to ensure sure that we continue to, to be able to shore up that pathway. The CBIE administered a survey of over 40,000 international students last November, December. It's a, a longitudinal survey we've been running since 2012. But the survey results really, really underscored how well Canada, in fact, navigated that pandemic. Students very much gave Canada high marks and high ratings in terms of managing that period and, you know, putting that pathway into perspective over the, the medium to long term. And the, the demand is still strong. Canada's reputation is very strong based on those surveys results, and it continues to be. And so the question then becomes, how do we, in fact, enhance those pathways? Because what's happening globally has been to Canada's advantage uh, in, in recent years pre-pandemic, but many are beginning to up their game, uh, whether that be in the UK, whether that's what's happening south of the border, whether that's what we're seeing happen in Australia and New Zealand. They're aggressively reinvigorating their campaigns 
clearing pathways to really focus in on harnessing that global talent pipeline. And there's considerable work for Canada to do, uh, to course correct, as, as you've pointed out, to ensure that we're really mobilizing the potential of those students for Canada and for our future prosperity. What would be the most significant thing Canada could do in this moment to course correct? There's two or three things I would point to. One, it's very clear that we have a disconnect between labor market forecasting and international student recruitment. And I think as a country, we need to better connect the dots between labor market forecasting and that recruitment and work systematically to remove barriers that stand in the way. I think the other piece is, and we saw this uh, very predominantly coming out of the survey, when it comes to post-graduation, it's not simply about offering our international students a job. International students that are considering staying in Canada are interested in community. And the one area where students are least connected is to the communities. They have strong connections to those on campus. They have strong connections to Canadian students. But when it comes to community, they feel least connected. And when they're making decisions and plans post-graduation, we need them, you know, from the very early stages to be connected to community. And that requires the engagement of municipal governments, provincial governments, other stakeholders with in those communities to be able to not only provide important supports to, to, to connect those students, but I think also there's considerably more that we can do in the way of policy innovation around connecting students to opportunities both within community and labor market at a much earlier stage in their learning journeys. I'm really curious and interested in what you mean by communities, because that's in some respects unique to each individual. How do we scale something like that? Well, I think one of the pieces for students at a much earlier stage in in that immigration process once an individual formally joins a part of the, the permanent residency pathway, they have access to all kinds of settlement and other support services. International students at at this point in time, with one or two notable provincial exceptions, do not have access to those kinds of wraparound supports, initiatives that seek to kind of connect them um, to the different aspects of community, whether that be, you know, social involvement, whether that be through health and, and other types of supports, whether that be through volunteer opportunities. Making and extending those types of support services available to students, um, from our perspective, I think there's a there's a case to be made in terms of a return on investment, a relatively small investment of resources to begin to help them put roots down into the communities. Because we see when that happens at an early stage, and we have seen some piloting of initiatives, you look uh, to Atlantic Canada, for example, the study and stay program that's been around for several years now, that has an impact. Mentorship, for example, where you're building relationships across sectors to be able to start to forge relationships and to support the successful transition of those students. The earlier we have those interventions and the greater our ability to scale up those interventions right across the country, the greater success we're going to have in terms of really harnessing this global talent pipeline for Canada. When you look around the world and particularly at the countries that would be our biggest competitors like the United States for uh, for that international talent, what do you think Canada needs to obsess with most to keep or advance our position? Make much more explicit what we have on offer 
the quality of the education system, you know, our reputation as a safe and stable country, a tolerant country, it will continue to make us a destination of choice. But what distinguishes us um, and, and what do we have to offer? And I think it's very clear, certainly from our international student survey, that, that students are looking for the whole experience. And for those who have a desire to pursue PR, they're really looking for a community to embrace them, a place to make plans for their future children, a place where they can see themselves. And so part of the challenge that I think we face is we're not very good at being explicit about what Canada has to offer. It's there, but we're very passive about it. Um, you know, you look at the kind of money that some of our competitor countries pour into branding and making that branding explicit. Now's the time to to put Canada on the map in a much more explicit way. We have to demonstrate ways in which, you know, we offer something unique. And the fact that we're seen as inclusive and that we're seen as as moving ahead in a way that that's is sensitive and, and and focused on sustainable approaches, both to the planet and for our people, I think is a unique and defining quality. And, and we need to find a way to harness that. I have a bit more of a directed question related to businesses and the importance of ensuring that we can support employers in being able to find this talent, especially in the face of looming labor shortages. But how can businesses de-risk that move? Many employers, the ones that our team has spoken with, have mentioned that it's just, frankly, a little bit riskier going for an international student than a necessarily domestic student with the proper experience for a particular role. So how would you tackle that challenge? Here, I think we need to see more collaboration at, at the community and, you know, at the provincial kind of municipal level. Um, I mean, we know one of the barriers, and we see this from the student surveys I mentioned early in our conversation, is businesses struggle. There's a pause, you know, before they take on a student because they have to work through the barrage of additional layers. It's not just, you know, the employment, kind of the labor standards pieces. It's all of the immigration overlays that have an impact on their ability to take on international students. And we, we need to clear that pathway. We have regulated international student advisors, RECIAs, whose job it is to advise students and who operate within a professional framework under the new college that was established by IRCC to be able to advise students, you know, on not only their study, but their post-graduation plans. We need to find ways to be able to connect businesses to those uh, to those RECIAs who can, in fact, provide that advice. We have RECIAs in, in our education institutions. Many employers that, that we engage with aren't even aware that these are resources that are present within their communities. I suspect when history looks back at the first couple of decades of this century for Canada, one of the quiet successes will be what we've done with international students and our ability to attract over time millions of international students from every corner of the world. But it's interesting to hear you speak, Larissa, and realize that we got here, not quite accidentally, but certainly there was no grand strategy that set us on this path. And maybe we have a moment to say, let's build out that strategy so that as we attract millions more of the world's best and brightest to continue to build Canada in the decades ahead, that we're doing it a little more thoughtfully and strategically for the betterment, not only of those students, but for all of Canada. Larissa, thank you for your leadership in getting us on, on that pathway, but also for being here on Disruptors. Thanks, John. Thanks, Teresa. Coming up after the break, we'll talk with a former international student who's blazing a path for those following in her footsteps. So stay right there. You're listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm Teresa Doe. 
I'd like to let you know about a new weekly report from RBC Economics. It's called Proofpoint, and it provides original, timely economic insights from RBC's economics and thought leadership team. Find out why fewer supply chain snarls won't be enough to bring inflation down, or learn why immigration and shrinking household sizes will help protect against a full-blown housing crash. To learn more, visit rbc.com slash thoughtleadership. Today, we're talking about the promise and perils facing Canada's international education system and how it can better deliver the workforce Canada will need in the decades to come. Our next guest knows firsthand some of the unique challenges of being an international student. Pat Chai Zhang is the founder and CEO of ISM Power. It's a Vancouver-based job search platform and talent marketplace dedicated to helping international students build meaningful careers in Canada. Pat, welcome to Disruptors. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd love to start with your story, Pat. You moved to BC from Thailand in 2013, graduated from Simon Fraser University in 2018, and then launched Ice and Power a couple of years later. Why did you decide on Canada over, say, Australia or New Zealand when you made the decision to study abroad? That's a common question that everybody asks me, like, why Canada? And my answer has never been that exciting. I actually have a younger sister who came a year before for high school, and I just kind of follow her. I I know that Canada is safer than the States and that it is friendlier to immigrants. So that's kind of the two main reasons that I chose Canada over other countries. You did more than just choose Canada for education or for family reasons. You've chosen to build a future and build a business. And I'm, I wonder if you can explain a bit more to us about Eisenpower and how your, your platform works. You bill it as Canada's first talent recruitment platform designed for international students. So matching available jobs with candidates, that's uh, clearly a need. But how is Eisenpower making a difference? So a bit of my story, I came here pretty young. So actually when I first came here, I didn't really speak any English. I learned English back in Thailand, but mostly grammars and reading and writing. But speaking is mostly picking it up here. Job searching has been extremely hard. Living in a different country has already been very difficult. So I remember getting rejected from the minimum wage job. I wanted to work at a Thai restaurant and I got rejected because I didn't know how to sell myself or I didn't even have a resume back then. Initially, I thought it's just about, oh, maybe international student just like myself couldn't write a good enough resume that we don't know how to sell ourselves. And that's that's actually how I started this company. But now that I've been in it for the past you know, couple of years now, I realize that it's a lot more systemic. First of all, international students, of course, I, I think we, we don't really have the right support system. Like everybody is so different. So if you are a student who come here for MBA versus if you're someone who come here for bachelor degree like myself, our needs are very different. And the resources that are out there are very cookie cutter. It's like, hey, this is how you format your resume. This is how you talk to an employer. And this is where you find jobs. But there's so much more unique stuff that you really have to, to go over, like the immigration process, the language, the cultural barriers that I mentioned earlier. There's so many international students choosing Canada because of the friendly, friendlier uh, immigration process. But the system that is in place today is really not scalable enough, I would say. So university rely heavily on international student tuition. Some of them even have, you know, over 90% international students. But 
if you ask what type of career support do they have, they would say, well, they have maybe one or two career services professionals supporting thousands of international students. And each one of us needs a very different. What are some of the services that ICE Empower offers? Because you mentioned some of the challenges include the fact that existing solutions are very cookie cutter, whereas the experience of each individual is quite unique. So what does the personalization of each student or job candidate entail? We realized that from the get-go. I myself came here as an international student. My founding team members also came here as international students, but very different journey. So we went back and we asked ourselves, what do we want as an international talent? And we work it backwards. So one of the things that we offer as students create an account with us, they will be able to tell us a bit more about who they are. So whether or not you are looking for a full-time opportunity, if you have international experience, what type of opportunity are you looking for? Where are you located? So we ask very detailed information. Uh, with that detailed information, we are able to personalize and automate resources that really match their needs and deliver to them when they need it. Because let's be honest, international student in the first year, all you care about is making new friends and integrate and settling down. If you are in your fourth year of university, your needs are like, I need to get a job right now and I need to figure out my work permit right now. And those type of resources are delivered to them right when they need it and really speaking to them. I'm curious what Canadian employers need to learn about international students, but also from international students that may be able to bring a unique experience to the table. One of the things that I found surprising over the past you know, couple of years is that a lot of employers still think that international students require sponsorship. Employers are coming to me and say, hey, I want to hire diverse candidates and I want to support newcomers and I want to hire immigrants. But there are three key areas that they say to me, these might be a little bit of my hesitation. So first is the language barriers. Second, it's the work authorization. They don't really know how long the student can last in the country or if they need sponsorship or they, can they apply for a PR by themselves. And third is soft skills. Those are the three things that employers are saying to me, you know, if you can prove this, this would be a valuable key facts that can help back up the decision of hiring international students. I think what employers need to know is that international students, they are brave enough to come to a different country and study in their second language, work in their second language. They have international experience, much often in companies that is very big and very well known because they need that experience in order to even back up their study application. And they are resilient. They have grit in moving to a different country. It is, it is not easy. Some of them pay tuition by, by themselves, you know, and, and I don't know if you know, but we pay three times the tuition that domestic candidates pay. Most people take a loan to be able to do so. If they don't take it themselves, their family would. So there's a lot of pressure on these students and there's not a lot of support system for them right now. You mentioned that tuition is much higher for international students than it is for domestic students. In addition to that, in many cases, those with a study permit are also limited to the number of hours they can work off campus. And that makes it difficult to get the work experience that 
Canadian employers are looking for. How can Canada, in your view, make it easier for international students who want to live and work here while they continue their studies? Yeah, that's um, that's a hot topic right now. I honestly think, you know, 20 hours a week is it's really not enough for for students to support themselves. A lot of international students want to build a good career here in Canada. And if they can only work 20 hours a week, a lot of jobs that are available at that stage are usually minimum wage job. So you work at restaurants or retail. Those type of experience, although it could be transferable to corporate jobs, but it's not a corporate or, or professional job. Getting a co-op or an internship opportunity was very helpful, but I also could only work 20 hours a week as a full-time student. So I created my own kind of part-time job. I did a lot of networking, reaching out to marketing agency. I reached out to companies that was not even hiring at the time, but created the opportunity for myself. And that that's really helped me get the first professional job which then helped me again land a good, solid internship. And then I leveraged that to get a good, solid, full-time job. I'm wondering, as we turn to close, if you can share some advice to anyone, especially those listening to us from far-flung places today, what they should be thinking about when they think about studying in Canada. I think number one is that as a newcomer, or as an international talent or candidate, nothing is going to be easy. You know, you really have to fight unfairly, which is how can you do things that other people don't do? A lot of Canadians and local candidates might have a lot more Canadian experience than you. So it's already going to be competitive. So how can you be creative in a way that you find your own ways? And finding your own ways doesn't come naturally. You have to go out and talk to people. You have to go out and network and ask for help. Maybe that's a great message to wrap up on. Be the disruptor. Thank you so much for being on RBC Disruptors. Thank you so much for having me. Teresa, it's really interesting to hear what Pat had to say about being an international student. And it got me thinking about some of my own experience living and working abroad, going back a bit in time, but getting to live and work in different parts of Asia and Africa, where there was always interest in Canada. It's a great destination for people from pretty much every part of the world. But it's really only in recent years where where huge numbers of people have seen Canada as an education destination, not just an immigration destination. That's pretty terrific for us as a country to have that point of entry or gateway, not just for people to come and learn here, but hopefully to set down roots. And we're seeing that in big numbers and in all the fields, whether it's healthcare or engineering or finance or the sciences, all the fields where we need more people. But as we heard from Larissa as well, the competition is getting greater and greater. And Canada's got to keep an eye on what other countries are doing because what we did to get here probably isn't going to be all that we need to do to move ahead. I'm reflecting on the conversation a bit more broadly, and I really appreciated what Larissa said about community. You heard from Pat, the reason why she came to Canada is because her sister was here, right? It's these informal ties that bind us. It's these human relationships. We need to think about how we build that and we sustain these mentorship programs, these communities that are beyond the learning and beyond the working that newcomers seek when they arrive here. And so these are the systems and pathways that we need to build as a country. And 
If we don't end up doing that, then we're just paying lip service to our brand as a multicultural, open, tolerant society. But we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to bring in, to retain people with these new skills and different ways of thinking. And that's buttressed by training in our schools and institutions to help us build the future we need and stay true to the country that we aim to be. That is all for now. Thank you to our guests, Larissa Bizo and Pat Chai Sang. Stay tuned in the weeks ahead. We're working on a special series about Canada's agricultural revolution and how technology and some smart thinking could help feed a growing world and do it sustainably. Until then, I'm Teresa Doe. And I'm John Stackhouse. This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. Talk to you soon. Disruptors, an RBC podcast, is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com disruptors.